Welcome back, everybody, to Driving to the Basket, part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I am Mike, joined as always by Dante and Tommy. Uh, we're recording this just after the loss against the Thunder, uh, all feeling a bit frustrated. Uh, but first, Dante seems, uh, tells me, has a special message for everybody. Yeah, this is my, uh, sorry, I was just bleaching my eyes from that atrocity of a game we just <laughs> watched. And I was, I was watching this. I don't, I don't know if anybody recognizes this call. Three of the year on the line. Goff's got it. Back, looks, throws, and yes! Anybody remember that? Do you guys uh, watch yeah, the game? Yeah, it, it happened like, uh, like yesterday, didn't it? Yeah, I've only watched <laughs> this exact clip, I would say, 35 times. That's a, that a good moment. It reminds me, uh, for any of you who are familiar with uh, the Simpsons of old, so the Simpsons back in the 90s, uh, which I felt back then was just a fantastic show and really just kind of went down the tubes in the 2000s onward. But there's this episode widely considered, I think, to be the best episode of The Simpsons ever called Cape Fear. And Homer is, the family's going into the witness protection program and Homer wants to be John Elway. So in his fantasy, he uh, he's, he gets the ball as the quarterback and he jumps over the line and scores and he's celebrating. And the announcer says, and that'll be it for this Super Bowl. The score, San Francisco 54, Denver 10. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's really what that clip reminds me of it's like it's awesome that they won but it's like uh there are no buts it is awesome that they won it just it just reminds me of that for some reason i mean one ten and one but we were there for the one on the far left side so there you go that's listen and between that and michigan what an amazing sports weekend capped off by uh the pistons won tonight right yeah Something like that. No. So yeah, uh, no, didn't. we can oh. we can march straight toward this game, I suppose, which was really a low point in a season that hasn't gone to plan. Last year, it was a rebuilding season. The Pistons were going to lose a lot, but they kept it competitive. This year, uh, they're I really wouldn't call what they've done dignified. No, I mean the players are trying their best. <laughs> no, but I, guess, I like that. <laughs> yeah, last season was kind of a dignified tank. I mean, up, up until like the last. Uh, a few weeks when they were just trying to lose as many games as possible, right? Rightly so. Uh, and but it was dignified, and they always put up a fight. They've gotten blown out so many times and blown so many leads that it's just hard to see, hard to watch. Uh, it's it's and and I don't think it's good for anybody, like at all, players or anybody else. Yeah, Dante, I I know you got plenty to say. Just go into it, man. I. I have not seen this many consecutive collapses since the last season of Game of Thrones. Honestly, like <laughs> it never happened. Season never happened. <laughs> uh, you know, we all just kind of forgot about season eight and yeah. season seven. Yeah, yeah. to use a reference. Yeah, that one is. Uh, yeah, we sort of like to maybe preserve the legacy of Game of Thrones, but as as far as the Pistons uh, are concerned, I, I don't. I, I li- listen. These games have become so predictable, but in the worst way possible. Like the Pistons will manage to look semi-competent for uh, a large portion of the game, only to fumble it away late. In in just, I, I get, you can only really describe it as a comedy of errors. You know, I, I made this point um, after the Suns game, and I believe the Suns scored on their last ten straight possessions. And I understand the Suns are a talented team, but. When something like that occurs, you, you, there's no choice but to look to coaching because you, there has got to be somewhere between the first field goal and the 10th consecutive field goal where you can do something to slow the other team down. And for the people who want to say, well, you know, the Suns are just uber talented and there's nothing the Pistons could really do. Well, did you watch tonight? Because 14 
field goals in a row happened in the fourth quarter. And this time it was against a team that just lost by 73 points. I, I, I you know, there's a term um, that I learned in law school. It's called uh, recipsa loquitur and it's called the thing speaks for itself. And it's when something is so blatantly obvious that you don't actually have to argue its merits in court. So I would say that Casey's coaching skills at this point would would fall under that legal doctrine. Yeah, I would say about Casey, you know, long-time listeners of this podcast, even people maybe who haven't listened to it for, for a very long time, know how I feel about Dwayne Casey, uh, which is, uh, I think he has some strong suits. You know, he's, he's a, for the most part, a pretty competent defensive coach. Uh, his players always like him a lot. Uh, he seems to do well with young players. But that's where his talents end. There's stuff, there, there are negative aspects of his coaching that have been there from day one of his NBA head coaching career that have not gone away. He's a bad offensive coach. I mean, there are no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Like, he's a bad offensive, co- offensive coach to the point that in, in 2018, which 2018-2019 was his coach of the year campaign, Masai Ujiri, GM of the Raptors, actually took the offense away from him. It's like, we're going to a new offense. And Nick Nurse is going to plan it. Nick Nurse was his assistant coach at that time. And and the Raptors had their best season ever. Of course, it fell apart in the playoffs because Casey can't coach, can't coach in the playoffs. And the reason Casey can't coach in the playoffs is not just because he's pretty simple-minded on offense and not innovative and doesn't really know how to coach it. And offense is really where it's at in the NBA. Or at the very least, you have to be competent at it. But he cannot adapt. And that's really what comes into play during these fourth quarter collapses. He cannot adapt on the no. fly. No, he is, he is incapable of doing that on an in-game basis. He can barely even shift his rotations. You saw tonight, Trey Lyle stayed out there and got obliterated. And I'd have to look at exactly at Casey's rotations, but I'm pretty sure it happens because, you know what, Isaiah Stewart comes back in the game at this point. And that's that. I remember two seasons ago, or 2018-2019, once Luke Kennard got himself back in the rotation, it's like, okay, the starting lineup goes out there. They desperately need some shooting and an offensive infusion, but that's too bad because Luke Kennard is coming in at uh, at seven and a half minutes into the first quarter, no matter what. And uh, yeah, I'll toss it over to Tommy because he hasn't gotten to talk much, but uh, I, I could really go on and on about this. Yeah, well, I got I got to preface everything I'm about to say with I agree with you that Casey is a horrible offensive coach. Uh, he doesn't make adjustments, and we know that about him. And I feel like I don't know, maybe we. I, I guess I've just kind of accepted that. I know why he's here, and in that greater context that hasn't changed for me. I see a lot of the complaints about Trey Lyles and you just brought it up like the rotations where he gets obliterated for a long time. I feel like you have to throw some of the blame on just the roster construction at this point. They didn't have Corey Joseph tonight from because of injury. So Saban Lee got pretty heavy minutes in usage. And then Trey Lyles is the backup five right now on no NBA team. Should he be a backup five? He is a power forward. He's undersized. He is slow. I don't know how many minutes he played tonight, but it was, too many and it's just we don't have any other options we had so much momentum in the first quarter when and then Luca Garza came in and we blew this lead we didn't blow it all the way but like we we almost doubled them like midway through the first and Luca Garza comes in and there's we just don't have talent you know Isaiah Stewart is probably a backup on a good team and he's our starting center like we just that's true that's kind of that's part of it you know too much you can do like we have to no, exactly. There's not much you can what do, you can, but you can with, Trey Lyles, with Trey Lyles, you, you coach a shot selection. Dwayne Casey does not coach the shot selection of his veterans. Trey Lyles takes all sorts of shots he should not take. 
He should not. Yeah, he does be, take so many mid range pull ups. I do. It's, I agree that's not that. mid range pull ups alone. I mean, he uh, he'll attack a closeout. He's not fast enough to attack a closeout. But nine out of ten times, he's going to go for a shot of the basket anyway. And he's not going to pass it. Shouldn't be attempting mid range pull ups. Shouldn't be attempting mid range shots at all. Uh, really, this is a guy who should not be doing much on offense. But this is a Dwayne Casey characteristic. He does not coach the shot selection of his veterans. And when it comes to his young players, if anything, he might keep them on a a leash that's a little bit too short. But Mm -hmm. you see Mm -hmm. Jeremy Grant's mid-range pull-ups, for example. I mean, he looked back. DeRozan did the same thing. DeRozan got to do whatever he wanted. Kyle Lowry did better at doing whatever he wanted, but he got to do whatever he wanted. Um, This is a characteristic of Dwayne Casey. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, And I'll say this, too. Asking Dwayne Casey to deviate in any way, shape, or form from his entrenched rotations is like asking him to split the atom. Like it, it, you, it is baffling how little the flow of the game and, and the, the context of, of the situation and, and what's actually going on in the court um, affects Casey's lineups. It's, it's almost as if, and I, and I know this isn't actually the case, but I kind of maybe feel like it, it might actually be where he writes out his rotations beforehand. He divides things up to the minute, you know, the minutes and um, the, the sets are broken down very specifically and he does not deviate from that no matter what. And they're, listen, I'm not asking for Cade and Jeremy and for everybody to play every minute of every game. That obviously isn't feasible, but I can't help but feel like there are certain points in certain games where the situation calls for a deviation of your your pre-planning. You know, Tommy brought up a great point during the game and, and we were talking in our group chat about what was going on. And Isaiah Stewart sat for far too long in the second half. The Pistons were getting destroyed from uh, OKC's length and size. And Isaiah, you know, he's not a perfect rim protector, but he certainly would have made a difference. But, you know, that wasn't a part of the premeditated breakdown of the minutes. And so by the time Stewart came in, it was far too late. And I can make this thing... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's premeditated. So Garza only ended up playing four minutes, but it was such a rough stretch. I was surprised to see it was just four. Uh, Trey Lyles played 14 minutes. Feels like a lot longer because it's rough watching him out there because he's playing out of position. Isaiah Stewart played 29. He had three field goals. And this is one of the weird things that I had noticed because Oklahoma City's uh, center rotation tonight was Mike Muscala and Alexei Pokusevsky. Yeah, I don't know how, like, yeah, it was awful. And we had legitimate interior presence on the boards tonight. And, but again, I mean, part of this is just Isaiah's not a great offensive player other than the low post, but he should have gotten more. Like, there's, there's just weird adjustments that, probably should have been made because Isaiah didn't come in until I think the 351 mark in the fourth quarter. No, he, which he was came weird to me. Did he? I can't remember. I thought he came back at six and a half minutes, but I could be wrong. Was it six and a half? I thought it was 351. Like Lyles was out there late. He was out there late. Yeah. I thought it was late in the quarter. I, I could be wrong. Uh, yeah. But I mean, here's why coaching, you know, you can focus on the players. Sure. The players aren't good on paper. This team should have more talent than, than it, uh, than it did last season. But here's where coaching is one of the things that upsets me the most. And it upsets me when I'm watching teams that aren't even the Pistons. Uh, like, not if I want the team to lose. But, for example, I thought Dwayne Casey should have been fired by the Raptors in 2015 after that debacle against the Wizards. The Raptors went in third seeded, I believe, and got swept. It was not close. And I'm sure looking back, Masai Ujiri also wishes he had fired Casey at that point because... You know, Casey's teams invariably underperform in the playoffs for the for the above stated reasons. But you cannot control how your players perform. Sometimes you can get them the best shots, you can do everything right, and they just don't convert 
and that's too bad. And it is what it is. You can absolutely control your coaching. You can absolutely control the manner in which you give your team its best shot at winning. This is a 100% controllable factor in, in every situation. And of course, it boils down to the talent level of the coach. But Casey doesn't do that. And he never has. And I feel like as the game has, has evolved, and especially certainly as I would, as, you know, as it's evolved into the efficiency era, but also as it's gotten more athletic and faster, I mean, he's fallen more further and further behind. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to say a name that nobody likes to hear, which is Stan Van Gundy. Uh, Stan Van Gundy has a lot or had a lot of the same flaws as Casey, only magnified. He was even more rigid. He was even less innovative and, and more simple. He was even more attached to just the way that he wanted to do things. And he was terrible at giving the Pistons their best shot at winning. Terrible. Like, absolutely terrible. Like, he, he made Casey look flexible by comparison, made him look like a good offensive coach by comparison. But at this point, I'm just tired. I'm really tired of the Pistons having coaches who underperform and who and and whose teams are always less than the sum of their parts, but just in all are not giving their teams the best shot at winning. And often it's very obvious mistakes. And it's just like, it's fatigue at this point. I mean, this is what, like season eight between Van Gundy and Casey. And I would argue in the first place, Casey got this job because Tom Gores just wanted to make the playoffs. And he said, Oh, what coach of the year? I mean, his, his flaws were known. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, He definitely got the job for the wrong reasons, but now that he's here, I, I feel like just because this is such a young team, it would be really easy for things to get just really rough in the locker room. And that's what I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just trying to cope. I don't know, but I just keep telling myself, okay, Casey is, he's, he's a good quote. Guys seem to like him and respect him. You don't hear about like bad things going on in the locker room. The quotes that you get from guys aren't like, you don't get a ton of frustration other than that little Hamadou incident. That's what I keep telling myself. And I think I'd probably be a lot more worried if Weaver hadn't given that given him that one-year extension. I think there was something there. Uh, there was a vote of confidence in that. But yes, otherwise, I completely agree. Like, Casey is – he the shot selection is probably the biggest issue that I have because I you just see so much mid-range, mid-range pull-ups, guys not passing, and there are a couple key suspects. And it's it's Jeremy Grant, who's passing a little more nowadays, and then Sadiq Bey, who is just – he does not pass. He does not move the ball. And he's doing things he's bad at, consistently yeah. doing things he's bad at. I mean, this, like, I wrote a very long analysis of, of Sadiq Bey. I posted on the Detroit Pistons subreddit. And I mean, the gist of things is that, number one, I mean, amongst guys who aren't just kind of like there, like Blake Griffin, who's, you know, out of the Nets rotation now and is just was a very low usage player and didn't do all that much. Love amongst it. players, yeah, amongst players who are actually uh, shooting the ball, Sadiq Bey has almost inarguably been the worst starter in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And that's because he's doing, he's being used in a way that really caters to all his weaknesses. He's been doing a terrible job uh, on offense, been basically, and I don't know how much of this boils down to Casey, but it's like, it seems like Bay has basically been told, okay, we're going to give you the ball and we want you to create offense. That's like the hardest thing to do at the NBA level, to just take the ball and create something out of nothing. And what it boils down to, and I, I know I'm talking a lot in this episode and I feel I've just, I'll just get this like kind of mini monologue out of the way and, and then try not to do it again. But Sadiq Bay isn't a player who's kind of like, Oh, okay. 
he's trying to come into his own. He's trying to get better at this stuff. Sadiq Bey, when he's trying to create offense, is a guy who takes a gigantic volume of bad shots. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, maybe I'm saying gigantic volume, but not gigantic. Well, I'll put it this way. Virtually all the shots he takes off the dribble are bad shots. Almost every single one. These are not shots he should be attempting. And tonight he started off, well, he started off with trying to create offense and flooding that. And then he had three threes in a row and went right back to trying to create offense. On the night, he took five twos uh, that he created himself. All five of them were bad. He made one of them. That makes a difference. So, yeah, he's being used in a way that's not good either. Yeah. Uh, and I would argue that this is not a good way to develop him at all. And, and that comes down to the coaching staff as well. Yeah. I mean, listen, the Pistons are already fighting against the lack of talent on their roster night in and night out. They, they, they can't afford to be fighting against their own coach too. And I don't mean fighting in the interpersonal sense. I mean, fighting as in they, they have to play these games to the best of their abilities in spite of their coach. And, and Mike, I, I appreciate you, uh, your perspective on coaching because I happen to share it one for one. It's, it's something that I've been saying ever since I've, I've had a vested interest in, in professional sports. And it's that, you know, these players are all at the top of their craft. They're playing at the highest level. They need a leader to guide them and to put them in the best position to succeed. You know, at this level, a coach's role should be to not only not stand in the way of his team's success, but to maximize their opportunity to be successful. And I, and I can't help but feel like Casey has invariably failed at those goals at every conceivable junction. And, and, and I can't say that it's been any more apparent than it's been in these past, I don't know, these past 20 games or so. It's, it's look no further than what happens out of timeouts. You know, how many times um, do we come out of a timeout on, on offense and just end up chucking up a bad shot or it's like, terrible. or you can't it, do it. Garbage. No, you can't do it. And then how about on defense tonight that, you know, the game was already pretty well out of hand, but you know, maybe if you got to stop, you could have still been in the game at this point. I think there was maybe a minute and a half left and we come out of the timeout and the, the thunder get an uncontested. Dunk. Like it's like who at one point the, the, the camera pan to all the players around Casey as he was drawing something on the, um, on his clipboard. And, and I was thinking like, what, what are you playing Pictionary? Like you, there's no way you're writing something useful on that clipboard. Like I just, it is, I'm getting very aggravated because it's it's like you said, Mike. It's it's tiring. It's so tiring. And honestly, as as much as I love this team, I'll be. I've said this to you guys, and I'll be honest. If it wasn't for Cade Cunningham and for this podcast, I would not be watching this team. This is not a good product at all. You could essentially write the script on how every late game situation goes, and it's not. I love the word you use, Mike. Dignified. This is not a dignified tank. This is collapse after collapse after collapse. And be it as it may that the team is not talented, the foremost thing that you can point to at every junction is the coaching. That's just a fact. Yeah, I I feel like we should take a step back here just because, well, I'll be honest, I was thinking about this earlier. Uh, and one of the things I was thinking about is guys are playing way above what they should be reasonably asked to do or what role they would actually have on a good team. Like Jeremy Grant, one of the questions that we had about him coming into the year was, is he a second option on a good team or a third option? I think right now he's kind of proving that he's much better when he's taking the shots that a role player would take. Uh, And then this especially pertains to Sadiq Bey. Sadiq Bey took the same number of field goal attempts as Jeremy Grant tonight. 
he is our third option on offense. And on a good team, he would probably be a low usage fifth option. But do you regret the way that they're using him or the fact that they tried it? Like, that's a genuine question that I have. No. Because I do. No. I Don't think, yeah. Oh, go exactly. ahead. Exactly. I, I feel yeah. like there is a, like an actual discussion here. Yeah, there's a discussion. I think it was, here's what you do with the player, especially with a player like Sadiq. Sadiq is not well suited to create offense. You look at the qualities that will help you beat guys off the dribble, beat defenders at the rim. I mean, burst, verticality, uh, half-court foot speed in general, quickness, uh, even to things like handle and body control. And strength is important too. So Sadiq has strength. He has none of the other five. He cannot beat guys off the dribble. He cannot elevate at the rim. He has poor body control off the drive. He has virtually no handle at all. The guy's basically just going to dribble in a straight line. He's, you know, he's he's, he's got no handle mm-hmm. uh, in, in the context. I thought of, he had some perimeter handle just on creating but, drives, but, but he couldn't finish him. No, what I'm what I'm talking about is off the drive. He's not going to be like crossing you over or something. No, like that. he doesn't it's, have it's a diverse it's a, handle package. Yeah, it's as, it's as simple as it gets. Yeah, yeah. So, but with any player who's not like a phenom, you work them into this incrementally. You say we want you to work on this. Uh, we want you to work on that here, or maybe the moves we want you to yeah. use. I remember how the Jazz worked Donovan Mitchell into it, uh, and uh, they were very specific about it. Instead, Sadiq's basically, who who doesn't have these qualities, which will give him an advantage as a creator, is basically just being given the ball and saying, go for it. Yeah, Try go to create offense. Something. Go score. And, go do something. Yeah, go yeah. score, and the result is just a ton of bad shots. Yeah. And it seems to have really nuked his confidence. That's not helpful. It's it's accomplishing nothing. Yep. And so no, in the first place, I would say it was it was gone about stupidly. It was gone yeah. about in a kind of what feels like a Casey like manner. I wonder where Bayline is in on this, but Casey has the final decision. Uh it was just like incredibly clunky. It's like this is not the way to try to develop a player in creating offense, particularly one who is at a disadvantage in the first place. Uh, so the games I've seen this season where, where Bay looks better is when he's really reverting back to that three and D role, which he's comfortable at and in which he can succeed. Yeah. And I would say, if you want to develop him, work him on exploiting mismatches, using his strength to attack to the outside, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. He's being set up to fail. Yeah. Dante, you were very pro Sadiq Bay expanding his role to start the season. He looked good at the beginning of the season. Like, what is your take? Like, I'm, tr- I'm not trying to be like a contrarian. I'm worried that I'm starting to sound like it. But what I'm trying to do as I watch these games is see the bigger picture or like the long term. And one of the things that we all wanted was, you know, if we're going to suck, give the young, like people do it with Saban right now. Who They, they want Corey Joseph to be benched in favor of Saban uh, because like, well, we're going to suck. We're going to lose anyway. Why not just see what it is? But Saban aside, Dante, you wanted Sadiq Bey to get an expanded yeah. role. What do you think of the way that they've gone about it? Well, I think I think Mike is spot on. And like this is. Yeah, long-time listeners of the show know that I am the I'm the president of the Sadiq Bay fan club. You know, I was just ear to ear smiling after every historic shooting night that he had last season, and and I was, you know, I am on record saying that I thought he could be um, a Chris Middleton type. I thought he had the shooting touch. I thought he had the size. I thought he had the basketball IQ. And maybe even if it wasn't a one for one perfect comparison, I, th- I thought that there was a world where he could get up to. 18, 19, 20 points per game in that Middleton-esque role. And I, I obviously, I don't blame the Pistons for trying to diversify his skill set and, and see what they have in him. But it's like Mike said, it was implemented in a, in a clunky fashion. And I would even go further and say that, that this um, experiment has been continued in a clunky fashion. And, it, and it's now reached the point of negligence because it's like, okay, I literally said last episode when I was talking about guided development, wouldn't it be helpful 
uh, like Mike said, to give Sadiq the ball and say, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to try to break your man down, put your shoulder down, use your strength, bully your way to the basket, and then finish uh, like this or finish like that. Like give him one thing. Or pass the ball if you get stuck. Pass the ball if you get held up. But even if you don't want to pass the ball, even if you're hell-bent on finishing, why don't you cater to your strengths, which is um, ironically his strength, right? His physical strength. Cater to that and find a way to bully your way to the basket and score. But that's not what's happening. What's happening is, here, Sadiq, take the ball, spin around with your handle that's not very good, um, post up at weird times, take weird sidestep threes and, and just figure it out. And he hasn't been able to do it. And the problem is now that it's been so bad for so long, his confidence is starting to get affected, not starting to get affected. His confidence has been affected. So at that point, it's irresponsible to not rein it back in. It's irresponsible to not sit Sadiq down and tell him, okay, this is not working. Maybe we can revisit uh, training some of these aspects of your game during the offseason. But for right now, we need to win games. And the best chance for us to win games is for you to take on the role that you took on last year. And then you go from there. But what's going on right now is just, is just it, it, Mike couldn't have said it better, but I, I would take it a step further and say it's nothing short of negligent, quite honestly. That's my take. It's been bad. And I just, I'll just break him with a stat here. Uh, the team, of course, has been massively worse with Sadiq on the floor. I mean, like, uh, I believe it's on off prior to tonight that tonight was like negative 14 or something like that, but which is really bad, like really, really bad after 20 games. There's also the fact that, uh, all of the other starters, all four of them are plus players without him on the floor and significantly negative players with him on, without, uh, uh, with him on the floor, excuse me. So when the team has those players, Killian, the Killian's the only one who has kind of a smaller sample size. He's only played about. If I remember correctly, about 60 minutes without Bay. The other three have considerably more time without Bay. When they have those players on the floor without Bay, they have a positive point differential. I mean, it's not just that he has been struggling. He has been a disaster for the for the team whenever he's on the floor. So, I mean, it, it has done bad things all around. And I kind of hoped that they would be winding it down. But tonight we saw that that's not the case. His no. first shot attempt was just, you know, was trying to self-create. He he tried five times, five bad shots. Yeah. And you see at the very end of the game there, he passed up a wide open three to sidestep into a contested fadeaway three. That's not the Sadiq Bay of last year. That's a Sadiq Bay who's out of his element and he's just, he's, he's floundering. He's floundering right now. And the on coaches defense need, too. On defense too. And the coaches need to step in and figure it out. But the, I have, le- I, I don't even want to say I have zero confidence in this coaching staff because I actually have negative confidence in the coaching staff and that I feel like they might make players worse. You know, we have evidence for that. And that as much as it hurts to say, that unfortunately is the case and 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 uh just pain. Pain. Yeah. Tommy, what <laughs> I mean, what, what what do you think? I mean, you've you've asked us this question. What are your thoughts on it? I think they expanded his his role too quickly, and that's something that I was wary of with Cade this summer, and it ended up being kind of an unnecessary fear that uh, they did end up saying. Casey just recently said, like, for the first 20 games, we wanted to – I forget exactly how he phrased it, but the gist of it was we didn't want to give him too much of a role too quickly. They took that precaution with Cade. I don't think they did it with Bay, or maybe they were just so encouraged by how it looked pretty good early on. You know, but I think the defense adjusted and – yeah. Right. Was it? And then there was a little bit of in, in summer league. We knew it was something that they were working on, but he's he's he he was he's playing like a third option, and he really just he just isn't one. Um. So I think that's kind of the problem. They really haven't. I'm not going to say this. No, I'm not going to say that. 
because Casey, there are quotes from Casey about like, you should be looking to pass. I was trying to find the quote on Twitter just now. And I saw one from October 6th where Casey was praising Sadiq Bey's uh, passing ability. That has not manifested late in games. I don't know if it's just because there's like a lot more defensive pressure. He's maybe not able to keep up with it right now. Maybe that's just going to come with time. But right now, Sadiq Bey is, he is a ball stopper and he does not pass the ball. And it's, it's negatively affecting the offense so much. Like it is brutal out there when when Sadiq Bey isolates, takes it into the mid or into the paint, and he gets mobbed, and he still tries to take a shot. He just he doesn't have the awareness to look for the open man and keep the ball moving. And Cade is really good at that. Killian is really good at that. Isaiah Stewart had a couple instances of that tonight. Even Jeremy Grant, who I think I even said on earlier, like not even ten minutes ago, uh, was one of those prime suspects. But even Grant is looking to pass it a bit more. Like he was. I thought he was pulling up for one of his classic isolations or, you know, dribble, take your man one-on-one and he passed it away. Like that's good. That's actually generating a little bit of ball movement and offense, but Sadiq Bey does not do, he does not do that. Yeah. It's, there's one thing when you have a project that is, that is just kind of like not necessarily going too well, uh, but you want to stick with it to see where it's going to go. This has been just a disaster. It has been a disaster for Bay. It's been a disaster for the team when he's on the floor. And they basically just threw him in the deep end and said, okay, try to swim, even though you're at a disadvantage. And it it hasn't worked out. It's just meant bad things. It's been bad for his confidence. I don't think it's done any favors for his development. His performance is down across the board. He even looks flustered on defense. And yeah, it's, I mean, I've I've said all I need to say about it, but uh, the way I see it, I mean, if you're a team that's rebuilding, you can go one of two ways. You can be as bad as you possibly can be, or just be have such a, a bad roster that you're basically guaranteed that you're going to lose a ton of games. That's what the Thunder have done. Uh, or you can go with the route like the Pistons, where you know you're what they did. They had a couple drafts, and then you come back this season and see how it's going to go. In that situation, I mean, if you really want to capitalize on that, you want things to go somewhat well for these players to at least be playing in ways that cater to their developments and within a functioning offense and and have your performance be somewhat respectable. Mm-hmm. And the Pistons are trying to do that. The Thunder lost by 73 points. That's humiliating, but this is a team that is not fielding anything even remotely resembling a competitive roster. The Pistons went out and paid Kelly Olenek $13 million a year or something like that, yeah. Um, and I mean, just from what Troy Weaver said, I mean, they're going out there and trying to put forth a, you know, a decent product, but instead it's been terrible and you can't control the players shoot. Like I said, you can control how you coach and the coaching has been a gigantic negative toward that end. Yeah. It's at the end of fielding a decent product yeah. in which the players are probably not just completely enraged from all this losing. Well, I mean, I, I don't know if you just saw, so there were some quotes coming through from, Cade right now where he's uh I'm trying to find the exact one right now but he said something along the lines of I'm not going to let a couple losses stop me from hating losing so I mean I I guess he's saying the right things but uh it's going to get old really fast Cade like welcome to Detroit like this is going to get old quick um and I'm not sitting here suggesting that all we're we're on the brink of losing the locker room but but things can compound you know things can go from bad to worst in the in the blink of an eye uh, I, I think another thing too, and, and listen, I, we do want to touch on maybe some positives tonight. I know it's about 31 minutes and 52 seconds right now of all negatives, but there are a few more points that need to be made. One thing that stuck out to me, uh, I know you guys remember, Killian Hayes with a clutch steal, and then he rifles it at Cade Cunningham's face for a turnover. 
uh, when we absolutely needed to secure that possession. And, and that, to me, just dictates a player who is so lacking in composure, you know, so lacking in being calm, cool, yeah. and collected when the time calls for it. And and I know people are going to say, well, how are you going to relate this back to Casey? I, I, I think that the players take on the attitude of their coach. You know, I don't think Casey's composed in late game situations at all. He routinely lets the game slip through his fingers. And so the players are going to emulate that vibe. And, and there's no they are they're they're drowning out there and and this coaching staff just refuses to throw them a life vest so i don't know i thought that that hayes turnover was just the encapsulation of uh or an amalgamation of of the garbage we've seen go on this season i wouldn't necessarily agree with that just because i feel like well i don't want this to sound like an excuse especially since it was the same case with oklahoma city tonight but they're a young team you know it's three sophomores a rookie point guard and Jeremy Grant, who this is his first real season of, uh, well, no, yeah, no. Well, he's playing a role that he's not really accustomed to. And uh, he's probably in over his head with. But, yeah, they just lack poise. They're making, like, especially in the fourth quarter there, they got really sloppy with their passes. Like, that's when it really started to fall but then apart. call a timeout. Call a timeout. Get yeah. hold of the situation. I mean, that's... And figure That's a nice out. thought, but I don't know what like a t- like a timeout is like a good time to like reset and everything and sure. kind of recompose. It's a, but it's a time to adjust. It's, it's a, a time, time to adjust and make the necessary adjustments. Yeah. It's just like I feel like we've forgotten that because the Pistons haven't actually had a good coach in more than a decade. Yep, yep. You ever notice how other teams' coaches use their timeouts? It's like as soon as the Pistons start to get hot, you know, as soon as the Pistons start to cut into a lead or pull away, it's like you know there goes the whistle. Here comes the timeout, and it's like oh man, I wish they kept playing. The, the Pistons don't do that. You know, it almost feels like Casey is constantly calling timeouts, either a play too early or a play too late, or even sometimes four or five plays too late. Well, I would say that what Casey, like, like first, first of all, just to go back to what you said about Killian, I, I don't necessarily agree that that's a reflection on Casey. It was just Killian making a, a, a bad, you know, a rookie for, for all intents and purposes. I was just played, I think, in total a little bit over half a season, uh, just making kind of a bad decision. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that happens and whatever the case we haven't like timeouts. Yeah. I mean, we've been through, like I came back to the Pistons during the Van Gundy era, you know, we've been, we've been through Stan Van Gundy who could do nothing to adjust also out of timeouts. He would generally just say, okay, go out there. And as far as I could tell, the team would go out there and do the same thing, even if it was even flagrantly more, uh, more flawed than what Casey is doing. Because uh, Casey is a more competent coach, but he'd come out, he'd throw out some often abomination of an out of timeout play. I remember once the Jazz went on a run. This was probably four seasons ago. The Jazz uh, went on a run, and Van Gundy's out of timeout play was to post up Andre Drummond, the worst post player in the league, against Rudy Gobert, the best defensive center in the league. And the result was predictable. But in any case, uh, yeah, what you do with timeouts, you make those necessary adjustments, and ideally, you come back out with a play that that kills the opponent's momentum and gets you back on the train. Instead, Casey just seems to send the players out there, and they don't actually do a play. How many times have we seen Jeremy Grant fade away twos out of a timeout? So, yeah, that's the man doesn't know how to how to adjust in game. That's one reason why his team so horrendously underperformed in the playoffs every single season. Now you can say, okay, well, who cares? The Pistons are losing. Yeah, sure. Okay. The Pistons are best off getting another high pick, but you want to develop these players in a, in a system that maximizes what they can offer and a system that 
uh, helps them succeed to a degree and also a system in which the team isn't a complete joke that's getting destroyed. And that's happened way too many times this year. And often the margin between victory and defeat is I think often the coaching. That's how it was in the Van Gundy era too, when the Pistons would lose close games. And it's like, you know what, if you had a coach who was like two possessions more efficient though with Van Gundy, he was far worse than that. Then you win this game. So it's just across the board bad, in my opinion. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Another week of the NFL season means another shot to win big at DraftKings Sportsbook. New customers can bet just $1 on any NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. The last 0-0 tie in the NFL was actually in 1943, so I'd say this is a no-brainer. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, don't worry. DraftKings will not leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. They're giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code TPPN, throw down $1 on any NFL game, and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a single point. That's promo code TPPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. There's another one that I've noticed that we haven't really gotten to talk about. I don't know if people have noticed it, but it's something that I've noticed. And this is kind of changing gears here. But the defensive end. Uh, there's a little bit of a problem that I see out there. And it's, it's Cade Cunningham. Uh, ordinarily is a pretty good defender, but right now I see a lot of defensive breakdowns happening because Cade will help off ball or he'll try to be like a secondary defender and help on the weak side. And he leaves his man wide open and a good NBA offensive player is going to like recognize that they're getting doubled, look for the open man. And oftentimes Cade can't uh, collapse back and adjust. And that leads to a defensive breakdown. And that's something that they just need to cut out. Uh, a couple other things that I've noticed: Killian Hayes and Corey Joseph, horrible at navigating screens. You know, there there are just issues on this team. They they still just lack talent. Um, it's 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 very frustrating for sure. Yeah, on defense, certainly. I mean, as far as Corey Joseph, I think it it merits mention tonight. That uh, though I know there's there's a sentiment to a degree amongst amongst uh, amongst some Pistons fans that why is Corey Joseph in the lineup? Just throw Saban in and you know, why not? Saban, I think tonight was an example of just uh, how he's just a little bit too raw for the NBA right now. Passed up too many threes, uh, and those were ended up wasted possessions. Still can't penetrate. He doesn't really have too much to offer in that situation. I think you want a player develop uh, in a much more consequence-free and easy environment uh, instead of just throwing him into a situation for which he's unready. That's not necessarily the best way to develop, but it's like tonight they really could have used the composure of Corey Joseph in the second unit since at least you can count on him to make uh, the right decision most of the time. Even if he's not uh, necessarily a, a good player, he's an average backup point guard and that would have been real valuable to have tonight. But um, yeah, on the defensive end, uh, yeah, the, the Pistons not being athletic at all is a problem because if they make a mistake, uh, if a guy finds himself in the wrong position, he's going to have a real hard time compensating. Like we saw Diallo who plays some pretty good defense he can stay with guys and he can also rotate well. And if he finds himself a few feet away from where he's supposed to be, he can get there. Now the Pistons are fielding four below average athletes in the starting lineup and that's going to hurt. 
And Tommy, you mentioned Killian. Uh, I think Killian's defense is a little bit overrated. It's kind of like Avery Bradley, for example, in his last season with the Pistons. Uh, really good isolation guard, kind of one-on-one guard defender for the most part. Killian really got torched by Westbrook and doesn't really do well against explosive point guards. But uh, when it comes to any other form of offense, he really struggles. If he has to navigate a screen, he's probably going to get beaten. Uh, a guy gets him on his back or he gets stuck behind the defender, he's going to get beaten. If he's forced to, you know, goodness forbid, forced to navigate a screen uh, behind a quick shooter who can shoot right from uh, around that screen, he's screwed. The guy's going to get an open shot. There's nothing done about it. So, yeah, this team right now doesn't really have the defensive pieces, uh, I think, is, as much as is made of its, you know, you're fielding five good defenders. I don't, I think the, the hole is, is less than the sum of the parts. Yeah, they get a lot of steals, but ultimately just on offense in the NBA, they just, they're not a very talented team. And I don't know if it's a defense mechanism for me, but I just kind of try to see the big picture of it and kind of re- recognize, yeah, we weren't supposed to be good. A rebuild is supposed to be painful. This is what it's supposed to look like. I think we were a bit spoiled last year just by how kind of fairy tale all those close games where we all, all those clutch losses, as we like to call them. This is what an ugly re- part of a rebuild looks like. And uh, I know it's it's weird to take a step back after you get a number one pick like Cade Cunningham. But, uh, yeah, the magic is kind of worn off. And uh, all those lucky losses, I guess you could call them, from last year, we're not really seeing them. We're seeing what a bad young team looks like. And yeah. we don't really see the the improvements or the shot selection tailoring or the improvements from the coaching that we want to see. Uh, so it would be a lot – maybe it would be easier to stomach if – uh, we had a coach like Steve Kerr or like somebody who was coaching a modern offense, uh, but we don't. And that's, that does kind con- that does compound the issue. But I guess what I would just say is try to be patient. Uh, I know it's hard to be patient, but it's, I think it'll be worth it one day. So here's the thing. I mean, sure. If it were just tailored for that sort of rebuild, like, okay, we're just going to put out this team of young guys and you know, whatever, but the Pistons were meant to be better this season than they were last season on paper, they should be a better team. And instead they're getting, they're repeatedly blowing leads. They've gotten slaughtered in a whole bunch of games. It's not supposed to be an ugly rebuild like this. This is happening incidentally. It, it was not intentional. Like the, the Pistons at the end of the 2019, 2020 season. Okay. Lose games. Who cares? We get a higher draft pick. The end of last season. Okay. Who cares? Lose games. We get a higher draft pick. This season was about trotting out a squad and seeing how it went. And they're getting slaughtered. It wasn't mm-hmm. meant to be a terrible roster. No. So, uh, and and I would say again, I mean, I wins aren't the greatest thing in the situation, but I think the team would be a lot more competitive, would not be getting annihilated in the third and fourth quarters, uh, would just be looking a lot better if you had a coach who was not so, who did not have so many incredible flaws. And I feel like this is the worst I've seen Dwayne Casey ever coach on offense. I mean, his failure to adjust is just there. That's there, period, always has been. I'd say at this point after a decade, always will be. And that, that's bad, but it is what it is. Uh, well, it I have really had to not to try try not to think about it too much during games because it'll actually make me very angry. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. So I, it's just when it comes to offense, this is the worst I've ever seen him coach, and I wonder at how the turnover and assistance may have affected him. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's how much he might have been getting propped up a little bit by the last set of assistance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I would echo all that. I've been I've been st- staying quiet for the last few minutes because I, uh, I I couldn't have said it better than the two of you said it. And I think I think we've got some user submitted questions, so I don't know if we wanted to move along to those. 
Uh, sure. Yeah. It seems, seems like a good time. Uh, so we can, uh, start with the first one. Of course, we have plenty of questions about Dwayne Casey. Uh, what opinions did you each hold throughout the first 10 games of the season that you no longer hold now? Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I could start with this one if you guys want. I, I, I remember saying on the show, actually, I said that there was like absolutely no chance that Cade was going to win rookie of the year. I think it's now a tight race and I, and I sort of expect him to, I don't know if I want to say expect him to, but I think it's it's conceivable that he could be vying for that top spot and eventually overtake that top spot um, by, I don't know, the halfway point, the three-quarter mark of the season. He's just, he's so good. He's so good. And we, and we didn't really have a chance to get into Cade tonight because we've been talking about, you know, the negatives, the negatives, the negatives, which is understandable. But Cade was, aside from the turnovers, pretty spectacular again tonight. And I, and I think that as he gets more comfortable and as his role... Uh, sort of expands here, you're going to see that the truly special player that he was drafted to be much earlier than I think a lot of people anticipated. So yeah, uh, between the first 10 games and now, Cade Rookie of the Year completely changed my mind on it. Yeah. One thing, people are talking about how Cade gets blocked a lot. It's because he he shoots the ball from like his hip and then his release is at his chin. Uh, that's part of it. Even at 6'8", you're going to get blocked sometimes if you start your release that low. Uh, but back to the question... What opinions do you hold over the first 10 games uh, that you no longer hold? Isaiah Stewart, I don't think he's a starting center uh, for a good team anymore. I think he would be best as a high-minute six-man, as a low-post scorer where he would dominate with his size. And clearly right now he is not part of a pick-and-roll tandem. We talked about this uh, at least in the past few episodes, and uh, that really became apparent this season as you you see guys like Killian and Cade who are both willing to throw lobs they just don't have a target and our starting center is straight up incapable of it he had one completion on a lob tonight and that was against the thunders center rotation you're not going to see that on a regular basis mm-hmm. it was the second one this season i believe yeah uh yeah for me stewart was definitely one i remember and and just just to clarify i'm pretty sure tommy by size meant strength like really bulky obviously his actual size is a problem his height but uh i'm right about that correct Oh yeah, and then okay. lack of vert, of course. Yeah, exactly. So, or, yeah, so that's what I thought, rather. So, uh, yeah, Stewart was one of them. I mean, I really felt like last season that you know he's just a player who makes everybody around him better. You know, great intangibles. People play better when he's on the floor. Absolutely. And uh, you know, strong interior defender and rim protector. I feel like playing backup center really hit a lot of his deficiencies. And yeah, unless he can become like an elite shooter, <laughs> and. Yeah. Uh, and just play next to a power forward who is great in the pick and roll and the lob threat and whatnot, then yeah, I think he's he's a you know high energy backup center in the NBA. Well, to be an elite yeah. shooter, you've you've got to shoot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that brings me to my next point, which is that I was confident that the sort of systematic uh, approach to development last season would extend into this one, and it has been anything but systematic. We talked about Bay. Yep. Uh, and when it comes to Stewart, yeah, he is being utilized by Dwayne Casey as a traditional center on offense. And that is setting him up to be very ineffective because he can't jump. You know, he cannot play above the rim, uh, which means he's a relatively weak pick and roll player. You know, not catching lobs means that you're just removing an option on offense and you're playing him to his weaknesses. So he's not being operated according to his strengths. I don't feel like, um, you know, we're only just seeing Cade really being played toward his strengths. He had that stretch in the Suns game in which he did very well because he was able to, he was allowed to dictate the flow of the offense. And then that just 
went away in the fourth quarter for whatever reason. So uh, yeah, those, those would be the two things uh, for me. And uh, also I, well, going into preseason, I expected we'd see more from Diallo, but he still couldn't shoot. So that, that illusion went away before, uh, before the season began. Not mm-hmm. illusion, that hope. Yep. Yep. So number two, how much longer are we stuck with the Dwayne Casey experience? Uh, same thing. We have another question. Why is Casey still our head coach after tonight's game? And when is Troy <laughs> Weaver giving a call to Kenny Atkinson? Maybe this offseason. <laughs> so uh, why Dwayne Casey is still the coach? Number one, because he was going to be given patience in this rebuild. And last episode, I know an answer to question and said, maybe it was the episode before that I don't think it makes sense to fire Dwayne Casey. And I've kind of changed my tune a little bit around that. Um, because one aspect of it is, is just me as a fan and just that his coaching makes it so much less pleasant for me to watch these games. Uh, the second is if the team continues just collapsing and getting also just getting blown out, uh, at that point you might have Weaver and, and Tom Gores also starting to think, uh, okay, well, this is bad and this is a bad product and this is pretty shameful, and especially Tom Gores, who's all about that winning culture. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, if the Pistons are still getting are still getting wrecked uh, on a, on a regular basis with like the number one overall pick on a team, uh, forty games into the season, you might see a coaching replacement. You might even see Casey just be done with coaching and move straight into a front office role. So, uh, as for Kenny Atkinson, I think he's a good coach. I think he got a raw deal in in Brooklyn by all by many accounts, thanks to Kyrie Irving, and he did well with some of the young players there. So. Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah, yeah. I think I'll go ahead, Dante. No, I was I was basically going to echo what Mike said. I mean, I I think that the the calls for Casey's head earlier in this in the season were a bit premature. But I mean, yeah, it's it's exactly what Mike said. If you're still getting just pumped night after night in embarrassing fashion, like like what happened just a few hours ago, like I don't I don't really see how that's a recipe for sustained success. I really don't. You might be, you know, start hearing some rumors that Casey is uh, looking to move into that front office role uh, because we, we've said before on this show, it's not going to be, at least we don't think it's going to be, um, you know, Dwayne Casey's been fired, Dwayne Casey's been let go, whatever. It's going to be one of those mutual parting um, step down or in this case, maybe step up into the front office sort of situations. But yeah, if we keep getting embarrassed, maybe this season you start to hear some buzz, but I don't know. I'm open to, and Tommy, I'm curious to know what, what you think about this. Like I'm open to letting him go after the season, really. Like I don't, I don't really see the benefit in doing it in the middle of the season. I, I think the young players could, could do with some uh, cohesiveness and some consistency from night to night, maybe not shake things up too much in the middle of the year, but after the season, like what is the harm with maybe rolling with someone new the benefit of uh no let me put it this way good organizations don't fire their coaches mid-season uh if you're exhibiting that kind of or that lack of patience i, I don't think it ever really works out really nicely uh, occasionally you'll see like a nice little stretch afterwards where like things are different they're playing with the new energy but usually bad teams go back to their bad habits and Casey, the one thing that I will give him is that the locker room is all, it always seems to be pretty strong. Uh, guys aren't like frustrated afterwards, but uh, if this continues like this, like we're on an eight game losing streak, nine, actually, I think, I think the Suns was the eighth uh, game. So I think we're playing the wizards next. We could be in a double digit losing streak, you know, by midweek. 
And that is really rough for any team, and especially a young team where they're like, they're really going to be like beating themselves up after this one. If you lose the locker room, then Casey's utility is gone. At that point, yeah, you could move on from him and nobody would blame you. I would still like to see him just move into the front office because it would come off as more stable. I think Casey is good at uh, just... I think he shares some of the same sentiments as Weaver is like bringing guys who are very coachable, who work very hard. And Casey definitely has some role in scouting and who gets picked. Uh, I remember he was one of the, uh, he was very pro Seku in the 2019 draft, stuff like that. I think that would be his role, but better or worse. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, I still, I still think about what could have been if we had gotten, Nikhil. But anyway, I think if if Casey is still well-liked, I would like him within the organization. But if he loses the locker room, if guys are like really frustrated with Casey, yeah, there's no reason to keep him around because you're not keeping him around for the good things that he does with the offense or the good things that he does in terms of creativity. You know, that's not there. His his only utility is like the players like him. That's it. They don't, no. If they stop liking him, mm. there's no reason to keep him around. Some of them don't like him. Yeah, Hamadou <laughs> doesn't like him. Oh yeah, well I, I don't blame Hamadou. I mean, yeah, me neither. Yeah, you have a team struggling, and okay, finally Casey brings you out there, um, and your role is to stand in the corner and not to do anything, even though you're actually probably the best pure driver on the team. Uh, Hamadou is very good at attacking the basket, but give him a pick. No, why? Why do that? Um, you know, I'd, I'd still be a little upset if I were him. Whatever the case, uh, this is the thing about Dwayne Casey that I think should be reiterated. He was hired to win. His, his shortcomings were known, were very well known, and he was hired anyway. So, uh, I mean, I, I love this this aspect of that offseason, just that Ed Stefanski was brought in in order to help as a consultant to help find help hire a coach and, and a general manager. Uh, went with Dwayne Casey. It was almost certainly just what Tom Gores wanted anyway, and then got himself hired as president of basketball operations. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Still blows my mind. Still yeah, blows my mind, man. That was that was funny, and uh, you know, for the record, I think uh, I'm saying this without really any hard evidence. I still think Stefanski was very important in turning Goras around to to, to rebuilding. Uh, he certainly was the guy who seemed to be the impetus behind, for example, trading Reggie Bullock in in 2019, rather than you know because they said, okay, we can't really reasonably pay him, though ultimately didn't get paid that much. That's a completely irrelevant. Uh, that, that was a new thing for the Pistons. But yeah, Casey, his flaws were known be, before he was hired. I wasn't. I was upset that he was hired. It was just, uh, it was the classic Pistons move of going with the safe choice, just a classic Pistons under Goras, rather. Going with a safe choice in order to achieve a very mediocre goal, uh, which they did. Uh, 41 and 41 with not very good roster, but uh, Casey's offense basically boiled down to Blake, please take the ball and uh, and score. Um, and we'll run maybe Ellington around some screens and, and Reggie will run a pick and roll. And then they went to the playoffs and it was some of the worst coaching I've ever seen. But uh, I digress. I agree with you, Tommy. If he loses the locker room, it should be done, period. Uh, because right now, certainly he doesn't have any on-court on coaching. He's done a, an, ex, an exceptionally poor job. All right, so uh, what trade offers would you field for grants? Alternatively, how would you extend grants? If so, how much? Uh, so trade offers, I've gone through the list of teams. Uh, the number of teams which have the which would have uh, the inclination, the juice as far as just having stuff the Pistons want, draft picks, young players. And 
the ability to reasonably match salaries, which can possibly be gotten around by making a three-team trade, but that's just, you know, it's not possible to go through and say, okay, we could do this three-team deal. I mean, that's just way too complicated. So if we're looking at one-on-one deals, which the vast majority of trades are, or who knows, maybe that's changed in recent years, but whatever, we're looking at uh, at two-team deals. Uh, The only teams I can see, which would have all three of those, are the Timberwolves and the Grizzlies. Timberwolves do not have any young players really to offer, uh, good young players whom they would offer. And they're not that close to competing, though they're they're improving this year. I, I don't think they would pull the trigger on that, uh, especially because uh, Edwards and, and Towns uh, and Russell, when he's around, though he's having a bad season, as far as I remember it. I could be wrong about that, whatever. Uh, those guys are taking up so much of the usage. So I don't think so. The Grizzlies may see some benefit uh, in fielding Grant at small forward. That could be good. I mean, then you have John Morantz, you have Jaron Jackson Jr., and you have Jeremy Grant. So you've got a decent one, two, three scoring punch. And as far as who they would trade, I don't think they're going to trade Desmond Bain, though. <laughs> Bain would be a good guy to put next to Cade, in my opinion. Uh, but they've got three picks in the upcoming draft. There is, I think, one that belongs to the Lakers, and I can't remember the third one. So that's a trade I would make a couple of firsts and Desmond Bain, uh, or just those maybe those three first round picks and uh, just some salary filler. I think Kyle Anderson. So, but would they do that? Anybody's guess uh, as far as an extension really hinges on if Grant gets it together and can become what would be a reliable number two or number three option. I contender. Yeah. He hasn't had a season of it last season. He started hot and then he just gradually crashed. Yeah. So I'm really bad at evaluating trade value because I always try to like fleece the other team because I can't stand actually giving up, fair value or fair assets. So I'm not even going to try. Uh, I would just say method. that, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't even play 2K. It's just, I'm, I'm still really, really bad at it, but I don't want to trade Grant. Uh, there's that wrinkle of like, he came here for a reason. Um, and that's kind of dulled down a little bit for me because I feel like we've already done him right. There's legitimate interest in him from a lot of teams because now everybody knows he actually is capable of doing more than just being a three and D player. Um, to what degree is kind of the question. But I still feel like Grant is just being misused horribly right now. He's being allowed to do things that he shouldn't be allowed to do. I think if he is a dynamic third option, he's fantastic value at twenty million a year. I don't think you're gonna. I don't know if he's gonna get a max offer in the off season or whenever it is that he uh, he comes off our books. But if you can keep him on a decent contract, I would absolutely try to keep him. A decent coach would use him differently. Use him as a guy who's attacking closeouts, taking threes that are pass to him he's so good on the catch him and Cade like when they connect they actually like play very well together but right now he's been he's being treated like Kevin Durant and he doesn't have Kevin Durant skill he is like a legitimate first option on offense right now and he's not capable of that but if he was like a third option where he's just taking decent volume catch and shoot threes attacking the basket with his athleticism he'd be a great player I think he'd be worth keeping and he's not too old so I would I'd rather just keep him around. I like what Jeremy Grant brings to the team. I just think he's being used incorrectly. Yeah. Yeah, no, I would agree with with the two of you. And I think that um, to, to really get a, get an idea of, of, of where things stand with Jeremy, it's like, okay, well, would I ship him off for two, three firsts? Maybe. Uh, maybe that would be a good deal. But I also like what you said too, Tommy, and that he has the potential to be very, very useful to this squad. But in sort of taking that approach, I would pull from what Mike said. And and in that, it's basically Jeremy's got to figure it out. 
you know, the, the, the grant of last year or, or rather what grant was permitted to be last year is just not going to be able to exist um, as Cade continues to come into his own here. I mean, it's so weird. Like these games are so disjointed on offense because you're seeing Cade initiate the offense more and more now. And, and it's pretty clear that he's the most talented player on the floor and, and he's supposed to be the guy. But then you've got, you know, Jeremy playing like he's, yeah, like exactly like he's playing like Kevin Durant. And, and you know, if Cade, if this is Cade's team in the future, uh, we can't have Jeremy taking long pull up twos. You know, he should be attacking closeouts. He should be hitting his open threes and he should be playing good defense. That's really the extent of what I think he needs to do to find his place on this team. And we know that he can do it effectively because that's what he did with the Nuggets. So I'd like to keep him around if he can adjust his role. But I don't know if I'm fully confident in in this coaching staff to get the most out of him. And I don't know if I'm fully confident in Jeremy to accept that role, because like you said, Tommy, yeah, he came here for a reason. But the inverse of that is, you know, one of those reasons was to be the guy. So it's like, why would he settle for the same amount of money um, to play eventually the exact same role that he played in Denver? But now he's second fiddle to Cade Cunningham instead of Nikola Jokic, right? Yeah, it's like, yeah I think he split the difference. I don't think he's going to be yeah. ever going to go back to like pure 3 and D or whatever it is, like that reduced role that he was playing in Denver. But I think there's something greater than that, but less than what he's playing right now where he's a very yeah. useful player. I mean, yeah, I, I, I hope yeah. so. I hope you're right. Because I like yeah. him and I want him to stick around, but he he it, Mike makes a great point. It just he's got to figure it out. He does uh, his role in Denver. Uh, he wasn't number two or number three uh, realistically in terms of creating offense. He was more like number five uh, behind Jokic and Murray in the starting lineup, and Porter Jr. and Monte Morris uh, when he was playing with the bench. Those those were the four creators in that team. So bench, uh, excuse me, Grant was pretty much purely a three and D and cut player. Now, when I was talking about trade offers, I wasn't meaning. Uh, I would definitely accept those. I was just listing the teams that could realistically trade for him. Now, if Memphis offered the Pistons, Desmond Bain, a couple of firsts and salary filler, I'd be like, you have to make that deal. <laughs> I mean, I don't think you could reasonably say no to that because Bain is a player who'd be great next to Cade. You know, he's uh, he's he's pretty athletic. He uh, he's very good at shooting uh, at shooting threes. Uh, emotion threes included he can do some creation of his own like sweet and then you have the draft picks on top of that if grant wanted to go i don't think you can chip off grant right now without him saying i'd like to go to a contender because i think that would just be bad form and uh and you do have to think about those things but i agree tommy he has to be willing to play smart and who knows i I would like to think that under a coaching staff that actually coaches a shot selection he would do that uh, I don't think he's ever going to go back to the role he held in Denver. He's proven that he is more than that now, and I think he could be a very useful player if he's taking the right shots. But right now, it this is Casey does this. Casey does this with his favorite go-to veteran options. This is just what he does. So Grant is being allowed to do whatever he wants, even stuff that he is not good at. Now, if he can consistently hit those pull-up threes, then go for it. That's a good shot to have. Uh, but on the season, he's well below 40% like well below 40%. Uh, so yeah, I, th- I think in the long term, if he can get it together and be like a 20 points per game player on good efficiency, he would take smart shots and play a decent defense. Then yeah, reasonably you keep that player around. Like what would the cost be? Hard to say. You don't want a max player like that unless it just doesn't matter unless the cap space is already gone anyway and you're signing him with bird rights. Though his cap hold in 2024 
2023 it will be very large. Yeah. I just had a thought. I just, I don't know. You could call this a silver lining. Maybe it's just a byproduct of a much bigger problem, but at least we know what guys are this season. You know, the, the, the only guy who everybody's clamoring to get more minutes because you want to see what he can do is Saban Lee. We know what Sadiq Bey is now. We know what Isaiah Stewart is now. We know what Jeremy Grant is now. And yeah, maybe with a better coach, they would be playing a lot better than this, but we know a lot more about these guys and they get these heavy, heavy roles because there's nobody else to take minutes from them. You're going to get what you get from them. And it's kind of, there's nobody really behind them threatening their jobs right now. So we know what they are and hopefully you can pick and choose the best parts of them, tailor their roles a bit and turn them into useful players. I think there are like little things that we've seen from Sadiq that actually are usable. I think he actually can post up guys and get all the way to the hoop. Uh, but otherwise, like most of what he does right now that he's doing this, I almost said this semester, this year is <laughs> It is useless. exam season. It is exam yeah. season, yeah. Yeah, I, would, <laughs> I mean, I know we've said this. I don't think, in my opinion, just based on what's going to be the lineup to maximize Kate and just what your, what your, uh, your just urgent needs are in the NBA, I don't think that you're going to see more than one of Bay, Stewart, and Hayes remaining in the starting lineup. And if Bay can just become that solid 3 and D shooter, especially if he can yeah. shoot motion threes and can attack mismatches, then I think he's the most likely to stick. I mean, we didn't end up getting into the fit between Cade and Killian on this episode. I still don't think it's good at all. If you had one possession tonight where you really saw Killian handle the ball, he wasn't good at it, and it completely pushed Cade out of the play. And he's just not very useful off the ball besides the odd, uh, you know, the on low volume, a spot up three. So, yeah, I don't, I just don't think you have it there. And as much as, like I said, you have those on paper, you're putting out five good defenders. In reality, the starting lineup is so unathletic that the defense isn't functioning very well. And yeah, now one thing I would like to see them do differently. Absolutely. As far as guys, you know what they are. Again, give Diallo a chance. Like, uh, who knows, maybe you can get a shot together over the course of the season. But the guy has some strengths that are being completely underutilized by a team that is in desperate need of athleticism and penetration. Desperate need of penetration, (laughs) guys. And uh, even if it's, you know, even if the penetration is just breaking down the defense so you can pass it and then uh, kick it around and around. Like, Tommy, I know you love Spolster's offense, but, uh, you know, and that's, that's a good model. But Casey... You know, maybe this sounds really condescending, but I think that the last decade has proven that Casey just cannot run a complex offense. Can't do it. So yep. you're, you're not going to see players used in a in a in a high movement offense with all five of them uh, being utilized to their you know to their maximum extent and uh, you know maximizing uh, the assets that each of them have. Yeah, this has been uh, what an hour and seven minutes of doom and gloom. So. Sorry to the listeners for that, but I mean, look, we had a lot of thoughts that we wanted to get out, but I'm looking at this statistic right now, so maybe we can have a bit of a palate cleanser to end the episode. So uh, in his last three games, Cade Cunningham is averaging 24.3 points, seven rebounds, and six assists while shooting 61% from three. That's uh, good. Is that good? I think that's good. That's pretty God, good. I love Cade. I love him so much. Oh my God. Oh, Here's the thing. I mean, if you if you had actually a coach who was good at utilizing off ball movement and guys who are good at moving off the ball playing next to Cade, I think the turnovers would be less of an issue. He's basically having to navigate multiple defenders each time. Nobody is moving. Yep. <laughs> and yep. uh, and 
uh, he needs to work on the passes that just aren't going to work in the NBA, but mm-hmm. he's not in an ideal situation right now either. But yes, no, I'm very impressed. Putting he's up those such, numbers. He's such, a smart, he's such a smart player too. And oh, he's, high, yeah. he's highly respected by the defenses also. Yeah, yeah. Well, that respect manifests itself in just constant double teams. You know, we talked about this last episode off the pick and roll. Nobody follows the roll guy. They all follow Cade. So he's putting up these <laughs> numbers uh, while constantly double teamed. And it should be noted, not getting to the line really at all. So, you know, if you add three, four trips to the line, that's maybe five, six extra points per game. That's he's putting up some pretty ridiculous numbers right now. And this is still the first third of his rookie season, um, even less if you consider the fact that he was out for the first little while. So I just man, in a in a very, very dark evening, it was nice to watch Cade. Uh, I wanted that 30 bomb pretty bad to complete the the Lions, uh, Wolverines, Pistons trifecta. Uh, over the uh, Saturday to Monday spread there, but you know we'll we'll save the thirty point burger for a win, hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. All right. Well, uh, I think we're going to call it on that episode here. Uh, so as ever, folks, thank you all for listening. We'll catch you next time.